The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and it's another Hamofop. Justin Hamilton is back. How are you, Hamo? I am well, thank you. There was a bit of excitement on the socials a couple of weeks ago at the idea of having a complete Fofop with a fake Charlie and a <laughs> and a guest Will, Dave Anthony All I would I. say is bring it on. Yep. If it means I don't have to do it, I am happy <laughs> for anybody who wants to have a crack at doing a faux fault. Like this week, as you know, and part of it's because you're so super busy at the moment as well, but like I tried to coordinate with one with Dave, couldn't work with my schedule and his schedule, tried mm. to coordinate one with you, couldn't work with your schedule and my schedule. And I was really open to the idea <laughs> that you were just going to today go, I just cannot fit it in. And I was going to be like, we're just having another week off. Right. Like Charlie's come on board every second week and I've really just dropped off the cliff of <laughs> my capacity to ever do the show again. I give up. It's fine. Yeah. So if you want to do one with Dave, if Dave wants to do one with Gareth, if other podcasts, if Carl and Tommy want to come on and they want to do an episode of Faux Fop, if like the women from My Favourite Murder want to come on and they want to do an episode of the podcast, the girls from Shameless, come yep. on in. M. Rassiana, no, anyone who wants to do an episode of Fofop yep. of their own, I am opening that universe up to submissions. Uh, it would be a, uh, a Fofofop. And the thing is, <laughs> I, I, but there have to be some rules. You can't you can't just come there, on like... No, 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 there has to be. There, there, there can't be like... If Dave Anthony and I did a Fofofop, it can't be like when he was on my podcast because then I might as well just do a big squid. So if we're going to do a Fofofop, we have to have... A few guidelines, not rules, but some guidelines. Mm-hmm. One, has to be at some point an extraneous mention of time travel and how it can be incorporated into whatever scenario we are discussing. That seems like a fair guideline, right? So in philosophy, at the end of the episode, I asked the guest, you know, if they would take a trip on a time machine and where they would go. And often... A guest has thought about it a lot or they've thought about it absolutely not at all. Sometimes they're not engaged with the question at all. Sometimes they are engaged with the question but don't want the trip on the time machine for, for you know, their own reasons. Mm. Um, this week I spoke to somebody who loved the question, who right. was so excited by the idea of there being time travel and all the places in history he could go. I'm going to give you the place that he said he wanted to go first and we're going to try to like work backwards and see if you can guess. I'm going to give you some other clues. Okay. This is not the only clue I will give you, but see if you can guess who this person was I talked to on philosophy this week. So, Larry Emder. <laughs> Sorry, I was jumping. Who did you say? <laughs> Larry Emder. He'd be good, Larry. I, he I, said to say hello. He's a, I used to see him quite often at the supermarket. Yeah. We lived in, in a similar area. In fact, I'm pretty sure I once did a routine on stage about being drunk and running into Larry Emder at the supermarket. I think you did too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Good so, guy. Anyway, good guy would be a great philosophy guest, but it was not Larry Emder. It is I'll text a, him. It is a man. Okay. It is a man who probably is about 
How old do you reckon Larry Emder is? Wow. Uh, do you think he is... That's a really good question because he looks like he could be, uh, you know, early 40s, but he's in such good condition and he's been around for a while. I would not be surprised if he's like early 50s maybe? He 49 is, to 51? I know he looks good, doesn't he? But I knew he had an he adult son, so I was going to say he was 10 years older than I am. And right. he is 10 years older than I am. So so he's 37. He's, I can't believe it either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, hang on. I've got a barking dog. I told you I might have to deal with that. I'll just leave it rolling. I'll be back in a second. That's all right. So I'm watching Will leave. He's not wearing shoes. He's really taken to his new lifestyle. He has... No shoes whatsoever. He has a little hat. He has a little hoodie. And he's gone off to deal with a barking dog. It's at this point that I'd like to take this grand opportunity to talk to you about my Lord and Saviour, Larry Emder. Larry came down from heaven and he spoke to everybody and he said, Is the price right? And we weren't certain. But we hugged him anyway. Larry not only walked across water, he surfed across it. It looked a bit weird. Why didn't he just walk? If you can walk on water, why would you surf through water? Larry went down on a Friday night. He was tired. He'd been doing morning shift all week. And then he got up on the Monday and people said, it's a miracle. He said, no, 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 I've got to be back at work. But we knew it was a miracle and that's why we love Larry. Because other people would be talking up their work ethic. But Larry talks it down. That's right. That why is why that man is a saint. And that is why he is my new Lord and Saviour. It's nice to stand next to a man who is just so super fit. Do you know what I mean? Have I ever mentioned to you before? Never met my father. Anyway, I have this little gap in my life where I don't really know real men. Like I know comedians. But not real men. And Larry's a real man. He's got kind eyes. Not, not kind as in the kind you want to kick in with your steel caps. I mean kind. Like he really cares. He's a man that when you speak to him, he pays attention. He pays attention to what you're saying. He listens to what you've said. And then he responds off the back of it. He doesn't just sit there and answer whatever he was going to answer. He's the real deal. Anyway... Will's back. Have you been speaking this whole time? Yes. <laughs> what did you talk about? I talked about uh, my Lord and Saviour, Larry Emder. <laughs> so, uh, Larry uh, would be a good guess. He's, this guest is a very similar age okay. to Larry Emder. Uh, when he was asked the question, where would you like to go in a time machine, he wanted to go to many places in history. He's an avid traveller. That's okay. another nugget about him. Right. Loves travel, writes about travel. It's not his main thing that you would know him for, but he has a passion for travel and travel writing. And one of the things that he wanted to do was go to Egypt. And oh. I said, what would you do the first thing that you went to ancient Egypt? And I, he just said, what's going on with those pyramids? So this is the initial <laughs> clue I'm giving you. The guy when asked when he wanted to go, he wanted to go to ancient Egypt. And the first thing he wanted to ask them was, what's going on with those pyramids? Do is you it Matthew Hayden? I've had Matthew Hayden on before. Good uh, guess. He does like right. to travel. 
He does like to travel. I did know that. He's a bit of a man of the world, not just through cricketing, but through cooking and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, is he guess. a sportsman? He's not a sports person. He is okay. a an actor, I will tell you that, and he is not an Australian actor. And oh. at one stage, he was... I said to him at one stage he was one of the most famous people on the planet. He did not he did not agree with that statement, but I think it's actually true. Is it Taika? Taika Waititi, good guess, but I reckon he's more the same age as me. In fact, I bet he's younger than me and would make me incredibly jealous if I thought about all the cool things he's done in the time he's had on this earth opposed to what I've done. Like... It's a bit too much, isn't it? It's a bit too much with Tyker. He's real good. Clever, and I'm really happy for funny. him. Funny. I couldn't be happy for him, like happier for him, unless I was him. <laughs> that would that would be the thing that would make me happier for him if I were yeah. him. Um, is he is he a New Zealander? He's not a New Zealander. He's an American. I'm willing to tell you that. Okay. Oh, an American. Does he hang out with Tyker? No, he's. Um, you've got to think of somebody who was super famous in the '80s. So he was super famous back in the day. He is now not a super famous person, I would say. Well, no, he still is. He's, he's famous. He still works in show business, but he works a lot behind the scenes more than like in front of the camera. Oh, wait a second. So did you um, did you do this online? I did it online. Yes, it was not in person. Is this person in the States? This person is in America, in New York, I believe. Spent a bit of time in the country in 2020, but in New York. Is it Andrew McCarthy? It is none other than 80s teen heartthrob and star of Weekend at Bernie's, Andrew McCarthy. Yes, for once. <laughs> I fucking did it in one of these games. I'm usually so bad at them and I fucking did this. And see, this is why I believe in Larry, because now I'm good at these games. Oh, man. That's right. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's just rubbed off on you a little. Just Oh, maybe. You be around Larry, you suddenly have an affinity for, for games Mate. and contests. And surfing. I love going surfing. You know, uh, so what was he like? Because I reckon he looks like, uh, and from things that I've read and heard, I think he sounds like a fascinating dude. I think he's also one of those people who, it's, you know, when you look back on that awful moniker of the Brat Pack that was given to all those actors, which kind of, you know, eventually split them apart because then they didn't want to work together because they didn't want to be under that umbrella. And he looks like he's the guy who has looked back at his career, really taken stock of it, and he also appreciates it. Like, I heard him give the love for Weekend at Bernie's, and I totally respected him for that. I spoke to him about Weekend at Bernie's, and he thinks it's a classic, and he's right. Yeah. It is. As I said to him, the amount of fucking times in my life I've referenced the movie Weekend at Bernie's. And he said it always comes back as memes and, you know, yeah. suddenly he sees himself, you know, on some meme on his kid's computer holding up Kim, Kim Jong-il or whatever, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's just like, it's still relevant. Like people... Yeah. Are, but yes, he was... I'd watched a lot of his other interviews. And when you're on a book tour, there is a certain... Particularly on all those Good Morning Americas and all those sort of things that I could find... They're just going to him to retell a couple of stories from the book, right? Mm, Here's something yeah. you talk about in the book. Here's something you talk about in the book. And one of my like philosophy interview, as much as there's an interview techniques, is that I don't like to ask those same questions. The minute they yeah. go into, I've talked about this a million times zone. But when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know me and doesn't know the podcast and doesn't know what that's about, and it's just been they've got 40 minutes with me scheduled in between you know, appearing on ABC Breakfast and a whole bunch of other Australian press. 
there was a couple of moments in it where he started very nice, absolutely. Yeah. But when he kind of realized what it was, what we yeah. were doing, what the conversation we were having was, because I'd done my research, because what I often find is, because they want to plug the book and they want you to know that those stories are in there, I like mm. to include a reference to the story in the introduction. Right. So what I like, so as in like of the question, so or the topic that we're going to talk about. So I'll be like, you know, you talk a lot about the idea of, you know, you went to this party with blah, 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 and then ask the question rather than the question being, tell me the story about the thing that's already in your book and you've told on every other fucking press thing that you've done. I know that your son watched Weekend at Bernie's for the first time recently. And you thought it was dumb. I'll acknowledge that. And then I'll ask yeah. you the question that I really want to ask about Weekend at Bernie's. And the minute that we started talking about what happens when you die and time travel and stuff, you could tell he really genuinely was like, oh, this is fun. And we yeah, had great. just a really nice time shooting the shit about life. I was delighted by him i must say oh that's exciting and it, it what it does is it gives all those movies a, a new lease of life where now you can go back and you can enjoy them even more because you can sit there going ah, i chatted with him and he's he's sweet i'm into this ah oh, absolutely like it was when i agreed to do it i really did not know what i was getting myself in for and when i watched him do his like interviews he seemed very nice but he's like just a like one of the interesting things about the Brat Pack is that it was the Monica was in a quite disparaging article that had yeah. been written about some of the other guys when they'd had a big night out together, and he wasn't yeah. even there on that night. In fact, yeah. one of them slagged him off on that night, and so yeah. we think of the Brat Pack as just being a Monica now, but back then there was some pejorative attached to being a member of the Brat Pack, like you were just like a Hollywood celebrity and you weren't serious about acting and stuff, and I think that. For a long time, he wrestled with with that because he was probably just not that style of personality. Well, he wasn't an LA guy. He was a New York yeah. actor, and that's a you know that's a you know that's comparing a, a Melbourne comedian to a Brisbane comedian. <laughs> you know, there's just a different like, different philosophy on what you're doing and how you're approaching it, even though it's all under the same idea. It, it, the um, Yeah, I remember that uh, Emilio Estevez, it was meant to be an interview with Emilio Estevez and then a he very kind of nicely and naively said, hey, why don't you come with me? And then suddenly this guy's out with Rob Lowe on that and they're at the Hard Rock Cafe and suddenly shit turns pear-shaped. And there's a part of me that goes, well, I understand, I understand how it happened, but come on, mate. You're hanging out with Emilio Estevez and Rob Rob Lowe. Why don't you just like not be an arsehole and have a really good time? I mean, that's the, 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 there is a point to what you're saying. I guess he got to define <laughs> an entire generation, so he he yeah, probably thought he, he came out of it really well. Yeah, but also in, in in the process, like what what movies did we miss out on that they might have made together, and who who. What director may have been inspired seeing them make movies together and, you know, maybe Tarantino decides he wants to get, you know, two of them in a film together in Reservoir Dogs or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, what? how did he change the course of history? It's a, it's a very good point. So you, we consider you to be, you talked about Brisbane and Melbourne comedians. Uh, you, of course, originally from Adelaide. And yep. on the New York Times, I noticed that, Intriguing headline, and I didn't read too much of this, but it's from Adelaide, and mm -hmm. I thought maybe we could walk through it together and you could give me any insight into maybe having heard about this when you are growing up, if you did, or maybe this is news to you as well. 
Okay. So the headline is Australia exhumes the Summerton Man and his 70-year mystery. Are you familiar with the Summerton Man? Not at all. I I saw that headline while I was in between racing around and that is all I've seen. And I'm fascinated by just another weird thing going on in my hometown. Well, it was like it was like Melbourne was trying to, st- you know, they stole the Grand Prix. They was trying to still, still, you know, our our little thing. And Adelaide's just gone. Wait a second. How about this? We're we're happy to dig up someone from seventy years ago, so you can't just, have a crack at our title. <laughs> just to prove a point. It feels <laughs> like an ultimate Adelaide story so far, and yeah, there hasn't been one of those for a while. So I'm interested in in how it unfolds. This week, the police disinterred a body. Found on a beach in 1948 that has puzzled investigators for decades. There's a lot of twists and turns in this case, and every turn is pretty weird, one said. <laughs> yep, yep, that seems like uh, keeping up the uh, the level. Or maybe you said it like this. There's lots of twists and turns in this case, and every turn is pretty weird. <laughs> he should be, if, if, if it's Adelaide, it should have been, and every turn is heaps weird. Heaps weird. No heaps one knows. Weird, mate. No one knows how the so-called Summerton man found, found well-dressed and dead with a half-smoked cigarette on his lapel wound up on the beach in South Australia where he was found. No one knows what he was doing there or even how he died. So, well-dressed, half-smoked cigarette on a beach. This week, after he'd spent decades puzzling investigators in Australia and amateur sleuths around the world, his remains were exhumed for what might be the best chance of identifying the man in 72 years. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit confused, and maybe you were about to tell us this, but is this literally a something they've been trying to solve or has something come out of nowhere? Has someone finally sent through a coded letter or someone dropped a hot tip? Like, why is this happening now? I don't know, but I'm hoping that they're going to explain why it's happening now. Called the Summerton Man after the beach where he was found. Do you know Summerton Beach? Yeah, it's in Summerton. In December 1948, the man has proved to be one of Australia's strangest and most famous cold cases. Should the authorities be able to extract usable DNA from his remains, they could potentially put to rest decades of speculation about whether he was a poisoned spy, a disguised black marketer, a former ballet dancer, a spurned lover, or simply the victim of a natural but public death. He could be all of them. I mean, of all those, is there one in... Sorry, this dog's... Hang on. Willow's gone off. He's still not wearing shoes. He's going to check on the dogs. I feel like we've already talked about Larry. Maybe we'll just keep talking about Summerton Man. I personally feel like I would be into him if he was a spy. I think that would be where I would like it to go. Maybe he could be a... um, I quite like the idea of him being both. Oh, yeah, I've just kind of continued the conversation for everyone. So Okay, so uh, Winnie is now in the office. That is my next solution to... Ah. Uh, the, so she's been everywhere yeah. at the moment. Winnie's been everywhere, man. She's <laughs> now here in the office. Hopefully she'll go to sleep. Uh, okay, so what were you saying? So I, I was kind of contemplating what I'd like him to be. I like the idea that he's a spy. 
I like the idea that he is in... So, a, a poison spy. Yeah. A disguised black marketer. Yeah. A former ballet dancer. <sighs> yeah. A spurned lover. Yeah. Or simply the victim of a natural republic death. Yeah, you're right. He could be uh, more than one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Like, as part of being the, uh, you know, the spy, he could be working the black market. Like, that's his cover. And by using that as his cover, that means he has to get into a relationship with someone, some femme fatale. See? Well, yeah, that, he could definitely spurn a lover. I was going to say he was undercover as a ballet dancer. Oh, like, really? Sure, a black marketer. Sure, that's also... Well, maybe he's maybe he's double undercover. Like, he's under both covers. He's under the doona and a little blankie. He is... <laughs> he's a spy right. who's here as, a you know, a ballet dancer who's pretending to be on the black market to get the information that he wants. No one says there only has to be one cover. That is true. There can be more than one cover. For more than 70 years, people have speculated who this man was and how he died. Um, It's a story that has captured the imagination of people across the state and indeed across the world. But I believe that finally we may uncover some answers, says Vicky Chapman, the Attorney General of South Australia. So this is like, you know... Big times, going all the way to the top. Yeah. Detective Superintendent Des Bray speaking to reporters on Wednesday at the cemetery where the man had been buried since 1949 said the exhumation was part of a police operation to put names to all the unidentified remains in South Australia. That's a big job. So that's what South Australia (laughs) is doing. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) Guess who's working overtime? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're going to have to take over by yourself again. This solution is not working. (laughs) No, it hasn't worked at all. She literally came in, turned around and wanted to leave immediately. Sometimes you get the impression that the dogs just aren't really into the podcast. And that's kind of unfair, I reckon, because... A, they get a lot of love. They get a lot of attention on the podcast. There are people all over the world that are invested in Winona and Ramona. And sometimes you just think maybe you're being a bit ungrateful. Maybe you can just sit and enjoy the dulcet tones of Will Anderson as he talks about the Somerton Man and what he might just actually be. That does sound like a pretty full-on job, though, doesn't it? That actually sounds like a pretty unsatisfying job for the most part. I wonder what the strike rate would be. So say you have, just for numbers' sake, we'll keep it nice and round, say you have 100 uh, bodies that you don't know who they are and you have to try and work out uh, what their identities are. What do you reckon the strike rate is? I would not be surprised if it was like... One in four? Like after all this time? Don't you think it's maybe like a 25% hit rate? What that means is it's like baseball. You know how baseball statistics are essentially just telling you uh, more often than not how often you fail? And uh, this is kind of like a, like a baseball statistic. It would be every now and again you would come through and you would find the identity of a person. What I do like about that, though, is that when you did find the identity of the person, that would feel good, wouldn't it? That would actually feel really good. By the way, William is back. I might have to reiterate some of that. We talked about you taking over the show. You've literally had to take (laughs) over the show tonight. So 
just doing a little trial run. How does it sound if Hamo is hosting Fofo? Well, uh, the, the way I host uh, Fofo by myself is I talk directly to the person who's listening. So all of the co-hosts are all the listeners, but their mics oh. are turned off. <laughs> so it's a co-Fofo fop. Yeah. <laughs> It's important for everyone to remember that the Summerton Man's not just a curiosity or a mystery to be solved. Mm. It's somebody's father. It's somebody's son. Take a look at each other down the barrel of a gun. <laughs> You're the voice. <laughs> Try and understand it. Make a noise and make it clear. It's somebody's father, son, perhaps grandfather or uncle or brother, yeah. he said. <laughs> well, well, that's covered it. Really? Hasn't it? Someone's second cousin. It could be someone's third cousin. It could be someone's second uncle. It could be someone's stepbrother. It could be someone's uncle through marriage. I mean, probably could have just covered it with he could have some relatives. Yeah, yeah. He could be someone's mentor. He <laughs> could be someone's best friend. Best friend. You never know. He could be somebody's worst enemy. Oh, so many things it could be. There are people we know who live in Adelaide who believe they may be related. They deserve a definitive answer. So, uh, as I was just saying uh, to the peeps, I wonder what the strike rate for this job of identifying bodies is. And I was uh, hypothesising to them that it might be, you know how baseball statistics are essentially telling you how often someone fails. And I'm wondering, what do you reckon it would be? Like a one in four of identifying one of these bodies and finding out who they truly were? Or is that even too high a percentage? I think there's got to be higher... I think there's got to be a higher percentage because if their mission is to name every unidentified body yeah. in South Australia, they've got to think that they've got a bit more than a one in four strike rate because you wouldn't set people's expectations so high. They must think with new technology, eventually they have the capacity to try oh, yeah. and identify almost anybody, yeah. I would think. Maybe not yet, but that, that they are in the process of trying to do that. Let's see if this uh, article answers some more of those questions. Like a handful of other strange mysteries of the 20th century, the case of the Summerton Man has baffled investigators and drawn more than its fair share of internet sleuths. Attracted by both the glaring unknowns, the cause of death for one, and the uncanny assortment of clues that investigators did turn up. What makes this kind of go viral is, I think, all the strange things said Derek Abbott, a professor of biomedical engineering at the University of Adelaide who spent over a decade studying the case. It kind of gives you that creepy shiver down your spine. The man's body was found slumped up against a seawall mm -hmm. near Adelaide. His legs crossed and his posture such that he was first mistaken for a sleeping drunk. He wore a jacket and tie and had a partly smoked cigarette resting on his collar with no apparent Mm. That's a uh, that's a fascinating little bit of minutiae, and it, it, that's the thing that implies that there's something nefarious going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, was that a message? Is this is this from is this from one of the butt boys? Do you know what I mean? The guys that used to smoke a cigarette and put the butt on their victims. You know the butt boys, don't you? Anyway, it's a long story. They're a, they're an old Adelaide gang that I just made up. But anyway. <laughs> I, was gonna, I honestly was going to say, if there was an Adelaide gang called the Butt Boys, and that has never come up in the 20 years that we have known each other, I would be sadly disappointed by that news. No, you can feel good. I just made it up then. But imagine that. Imagine the Butt Boys. And then they don't realise, you know, that they've chosen a really bad 
nickname for their gang. No, it's because we put cigarette butts. Because we put yeah, cigarette when butts dead. on their collars. Like, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. What, We're the butt boys. Mate, I don't know what you're thinking. You know, we're tight at the butt boys. We're really tight. We're always backing each other up. Uh, the tag on the clothing he wore had been cut off. Right. Well, he could have he done that. Right. It might have been his rubbing against held... his back or something, his neck. Exactly. I've cut off tags on things before. Yeah. His pockets held chewing gum. Mm-hmm. Maybe for the smoking. Yep. A box of matches for the, for cig- the smoking. Yep. A pack of cigarettes. They'd be for the smoking. Yep, they'd be for the butt boys. <laughs> Two combs. Oh, yeah. Well, one for his head. Interesting. One for his ball bag. <laughs> is that... Like, why is a man... Carrying two combs. Maybe that was his name. Maybe his name was like oh, maybe two combs. Yeah. Oh, here comes two combs, Jimmy. <laughs> Grabs one comb out of each pocket, <laughs> like just kind of like brushes his hair back, sticks it back. Unused train and bus tickets and a scrap of paper with a line of type reading "Tanam should finished in Persian." Oh, oh, this yeah. is, you know what? These are some good clues. Yeah, these are great clues. Like if we were playing a murder mystery game yeah. and the clues were chewing gum, a box of matches, a pack of cigarettes, two combs, unused train and bus tickets, a scrap of paper with a line of type leading tan, tamam should finished in Persian. Right. What would you take from that? Well, I would take it immediately without knowing anything else. I would say to you off the top of my head, this is quite clearly a spy who's undercover as a ballet performer who is also got a secret alter ego that's on the black market and maybe has come across a femme fatale that he couldn't handle. And then the butt boys hot, finished him off. A hot, per- <laughs> a hot, a hot Persian spy. Yeah. He's fallen in love yep. with a hot Persian spy and he's been betrayed yep. in this love with this hot Persian. And uh, she told- she's reported, yep. she's she's made a call to the butt boys. Yeah, and they've and come said, in. Get, get down to the beach. Yep. No ifs, no buts. <laughs> That's what your that's, tagline says on your van. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. <laughs> she told him on the first night that she that he shouldn't trust her and that drew him in even more, leading to this moment. An autopsy found an enlarged spleen and liver oh, yeah. in poor condition but could not determine a cause of death, factors that led to speculation of poisoning, mm. though no trace of poison was found. Examiners found that the man had unusually strong calf muscles. Oh, well, I don't mean to brag, but I have been uh, known to uh, have people comment on my calf muscles. And even our friend Brett Wheeler used to call me Popeye because of how big my calves were. So maybe it's my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, dad. (laughs) What a way to find out. This is fucking disaster. (laughs) Unusually strong calf muscles. Yep. A detail that fed theories he had ballet training. Ah, of course. The man also had two distinctive features. Canines next to middle teeth. Right. And ears with large upper hollows. So he's a werewolf. At a train station, investigators found a suitcase they trained. They traced to the man. This is an amazing story. Yeah, this is good. At uh, At a train station, investigators found a suitcase they traced the man thanks to a spool of thread that matched a repair in the man's pockets. But the possessions they found there and on his body were of little help. Some of his clothes appear to have been of American origin. Months later, after news reports about the case emerged, a man gave the police a poetry book. Oh, I'm going to get this completely wrong, so I apologise. But uh, Rubaiyat of... Omar 
Kayab. Oh, yeah. That he said he'd found in his car with the last page torn out. The man told the police he had no idea how the book ended up in his car. On the book's back cover, they found a list of apparently random letters. To some investigators, those letters suggested a code, right. especially in the wake of World War II and alongside rising tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union. God. Wow. I mean, maybe he was like a spy. Yeah. Like, I'll be devastated He's- if he was just someone's brother or someone's uncle or uncle someone's stepbrother or someone step or <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah this is great so that so there must be so he's been slipped he's been slipped to mickey finn uh and uh it's taken him out but there's no there's no evidence of the mickey in his system maybe it's well, just a finn I mean, maybe this is what they're going to test for right. maybe they'll be able to go back and see if they he was taking the mickey yeah Maybe <laughs> they slipped him a Mickey D. They uh, checked him out and, uh, yeah, they'll be able to find something that maybe they didn't have the ability to discover back then. That's exciting. Dr. Abbott, intrigued by the possibility of a code that no one had cracked, performed a statistical analysis of the letters with students to determine whether the writing even was a code. They concluded that it did not have the sophistication of code and that the letters were more likely the first letters of words in English. Oh, okay. Maybe not a code. Maybe just random random letters. Right. Others thought the clip labels suggested the man had been involved in the black market that sprouted up during and after World War II. If the man had been involved in illegal activity, the theory went, that could explain why no one had stepped forward to identify him and why someone might have tried to obscure his identity. Right. Well, that's still interesting. Like I'm, that's still fascinating. Everything that's going the, on here. This is the book. Also had a phone number in it. Oh yeah. Which during the original investigation led the police to a 27 year old woman named Joe Thompson. Her home was not far from the beach, but she denied any knowledge of the man. I know Joe Thompson. The- no, so I don't. No, I just <laughs> thought because it was Adelaide. It's, you know what? She's either my sister, my auntie. She's my second sister. <laughs> she's a woman I met. I walked past her once. <laughs> She came to a the gig. The police found her evasive oh, yeah. and her name was not known publicly until decades later. Right. Okay. Well, why was she evasive? Yeah. What did she yeah, have to hide? With you, Joe Thompson? Maybe she had a spool of thread that would have matched up. After examining the mysterious letters in the late 2000s, Dr. Abbott said, I kind of found out, I fell down the rabbit hole. In 2009, he tried to track down Mrs. Thompson for an interview, but found that she died two years earlier. She had a son. Yep. Oh, my God. She had a son. So she was someone's mother. Right. Possibly someone's auntie. Oh, my God. Does he have a kid? He could, she could be a <laughs> she grandmother. Had a son. <laughs> this is great. She had a son. What was her son's profession? Oh, uh, worked at Holden's? No. Uh, it's something to do with this story that makes this story feel more complicated. Oh, okay. Uh, he worked at West End Breweries? She had a son. Who had been a professional ballet dancer. Oh, shit. It was the, you know who it was. The Somerton man is the father, and it turned out he was a father, of this boy who has yeah. taken on the ballet genes. Oh, good calves. Good calves, mate. What's the son's name? She had a son. Okay, I'm going to see. Uh, she had a son who had been a professional ballet dancer. 
And photos showed he had distinctive teeth oh, yeah. and ears similar to the Summerton man. Holy shit. She killed him. Or maybe it was him. Maybe he... No, no, because we found the body, didn't we? So, yeah. Um, but he died, the son died in 2009, months before Dr. Abbott could reach him. Hang on, when did the mother die? So the mother died two years before Dr. Abbott reached out. Right. The son died um, only months before Dr. Abbott oh could God. reach him and solve this mystery. This is a tragic story. So the son had a daughter, which means that this Summerton man might have been someone's grandfather. Right. He had a daughter. Yeah. <laughs> named, well, named Rachel Egan. Do you know Jesus, Rachel I know Rachel, Rachel Egan. <laughs> That's Craig Egan's sister. Oh, my God, we better ring Craig. <laughs> Craig! <laughs> Can you imagine if this was Adelaide comedy M, uh, Preciario? Impresario? No, what is it? whatever, you know. Yeah. He runs Adelaide comedy. Yeah. The dog. Um, uh, okay, so the, if, the daughter this, was Rachel Egan. This would be fantastic oh. if it was related to Craig Egan because he'd somehow find a way to... Remind you that in the interview by the police, you know, on the news, he would uh, say, blah, 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 this is a shock. We never knew what happened to him, but now my family can rest. And just remember, comedy doesn't finish when the fringe is over. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back in a month. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's actually Craig Egan should, regardless, get himself involved in this just yeah. so he can drop a few comedy doesn't fr- finish when the fringe is over. <laughs> Craig Egan, no relation, was quoted as saying, "Comedy yeah. doesn't finish when the fringe is over." Yeah, as Summerton Man would attest. <laughs> um, Ms. Egan had never heard of the Summerton Man, but right. she agreed to help Dr. Abbott in his effort to name the man who might be her grandfather. Right. Okay, so Ms. Ms. Egan's got on board. I like this. I like okay. her adventurous spirit. What are her calf muscles like? Have they said? It's, it is not pointed out so far. Dr. Abbott laid out that, scenario, laid out that scenario. The Summerton man had Joe Thompson's number. Yep. He was dead five minutes, walked from her house. Rachel's dad was only one year old at the time with no father. Oh, okay. So there's no dad. In the picture as well. Wow. So she's Good on raising... Adelaide. <laughs> Good on you, Adelaide. Why would you? Well, the father might be the Summerton man, though. No, that's right? true. Yeah. So you kind of put two, two, two and two together, but until it's absolutely confirmed, you'll never know. Right? right. So, okay. And Dr. Abbott acknowledges that if usable DNA was obtained for the exhumed remains, it might, in fact, show his wife had no link to the Summerton man. All I can say is there's lots of twists and turns in this case. Every turn is pretty weird. Colleen Fitzpatrick, a forensic genealogist who worked with Dr. Abbott. I know, Colleen. (laughs) But is not involved in the exhumation, said the analysis of his remains could answer some questions about the man, such as where he was born, whether he died by poison. Oh, there you go. Unintentional suffocation or some other cause. Right. And she was optimistic about the scientist's ability to reconstruct his family tree, even with DNA degraded by decades and only distance relatives to start. It's kind of on the older side of some of the cases we've worked on, but I'm working on one from the early 1950s and we're making a lot of headway on it. So 1949, 1950 is still within range. That's, I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah. That we can, you can go back and dig up somebody from 70 years ago and actually find out who they were and how they died. Yeah. 
That is amazing. Several years ago, Ms. Egan had her DNA analysed and links were found to people in the United States, including relatives of Thomas Jefferson. Well, that doesn't really... More recently, links were also found to the grandparents of the man that Joe Thompson eventually married. Okay. So my head is spinning, Dr. Abbott said. Does that prove she's not connected now to Summerton Man? Or does that prove that somehow the Summerton Man is related to her assumed grandfather? It's all getting complicated. So complicated that I'm going to shut up now and let the DNA from the Summerton Man speak for itself. And do you have the interview with the DNA? <laughs> now. <laughs> so, DNA. So, so my question for you, like this is a slightly left of centre question, but if you knew, like, you know, if you knew at your point of death that you were leaving behind a mystery, would you be, as you shuffled off the mortal coil, just think, <laughs> have fun with that? <laughs> like, would you be a little bit wrapped? I mean... Like, what would you do? What would you do to make the mystery something else? Like, you know, would you take off just one shoe, take off one sock, put the shoe back on, and then they'd find your body, and for some reason you'd just have one sock missing? I, I'd never, it never, like, occurred to me before whether I would do something like that, but I think that if I was still at a point where I was cognizant enough to, and I was dying, like I was, you know, you know, I, I don't want to, like, this to be a darker scenario than I was just dying, but no, I have no. the... I have the um, energy and the intelligence and, you know, at that time to think, ah, oh, fuck it. One last mystery. Yeah, I'd underline some shit from Moby Dick, Heather style, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd just leave a few. <laughs> Let's leave a little bit of mystery. Yeah. Yeah. He was holding Stephen King's The Dead Zone in his hand when he was found. <laughs> what was he saying? <laughs> there was a record on the uh, on the record player. <laughs> it was Bruce Springsteen's yeah. Nebraska. What does that mean? And I like I, I obviously what's this receipt from the butt boys? Oh for yeah. services rendered on the day, leaving that half smoked <laughs> cigarette on his collar at the oh, last moment. Mate, it's their calling card. <laughs> <laughs> butt boys are back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and while I've got your attention, guys, remember, comedy does not finish, finish. at the fringe. Finish. There is comedy in Adelaide all year round. I guarantee Craig will hear us talking about this and he will be wrapped that we are reminding people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to yep. call this episode, Comedy Doesn't <laughs> Finish at the Fringe. <laughs> Oh, that's a good story. That is a very exciting story. Are there? Do do you? Are you someone who, you know, wonders about certain mysteries? Are you? Are there things out there that have taken your, you know, imagination by storm that you would like answered in your lifetime? One hundred percent, absolutely not. I have absolutely no interest in any of the big ones until. I sit on my couch and watch a Netflix documentary about it and then I find it the most fascinating and interesting thing in the entire world. This is 100% me. Yeah. I am a person that in my general life, I'm like, I could not give a shit if there's aliens or not. If there is, it'll all reveal itself in good time. Not much I can do about it right now. But if there's some documentary on, that's going to tell me about it. Like, I can give a fuck about your art heist. Hang on, there's a six-part Netflix. Netflix have decided this art heist is... Exciting. Okay. I'm so have I. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I think uh, with some of these mysteries, if you actually had them solved, they would lose the magic. Like if you had 
it confirmed what actually happened with JFK, you'd be like, ah, oh, right, yeah, no, nah, I kind of guess that. Well, there's one. There's one story that I have always, because it was very close to where I grew up, and I've t- talked to you about this before, um, which is about I, when I was growing up, I lived very near Australia's greatest ever con man. Yes. And he was running this incredible scam at the National Safety Council in Sale where basically, you know, they were world leaders in all this like rescue technology for a while. But the reason he was able to be so successful that he was running basically a massive Ponzi scheme where like the reason that all this technology was so advanced was he was spending all the money at the top and he wasn't like, like it was one of the greatest scams of all time because it just was a scam of its time where all this money was coming to him to, he was meant to have these sheds full of all this like advanced technology and equipment and when people would come down to inspect the technology and equipment, he would show them the really cool stuff, like turning a helicopter upside down and rescuing people from the ocean or whatever. And yeah. then he would show them one of the boxes that was like decked out with all the, you know, this great technology. And he'd be like, look at this. This is so cool. Like every one of these boxes um, has like shit like this in it. It's amazing. And, right. and no one was ever like, hey, should we check some of those other boxes? He was like, nah. I mean, they're all just like this. Like, I mean, this is great, but you just need yeah. to see inside this box. Could you give me money for the other 19 boxes? But you don't need yeah. to check in there. This is fine. Just check this one. This is like me selling tickets to a, a, a brand new stand-up show and I'm showing people all the folders, but there's only one Word document. <laughs> but he claimed he was like a spy, that his code name was right. Iago and he was like... He had mysterious origins and no one could ever tell where he was actually from. There's a great mystery behind it. It is Mm. one of those things that either he was someone with like incredible delusions or he is someone who had some mysterious, you know, past and and some of, you know, what what he claimed may actually be true and nobody's ever been able to get to the bottom of that mystery. I think I am actually quite fascinated by that. I would like to know what went on, particularly because I used to just catch the school bus with his kids to school, you know. It was a big story where I was when I was growing up. It would have been probably better for him if he hadn't been doing a Ponzi scheme and he'd been doing a Fonzie scheme. Yeah, well, and he did that for a while, lived, lived, uh, <laughs> lived in a public toilet at a jukebox yeah. that he could yeah. only make work by hitting it with his fist. Hitting it, <laughs> yeah. But then the whole thing jumped a shark. He used that technology <laughs> yeah. at the National Safety <laughs> yeah. Council to you jump idiot. over a shark and people and thought it became this. a Fonzie Ponzi yeah. scheme. <laughs> Now I'm uh, I'm a little bit like you. I I kind of don't really want I don't really want any kind of big mystery solved. Though I, you know the the UFO stuff has been pretty hilarious. That's been something that I've always been interested in as a kid and it's funny, it's, for years people were saying, you know, hey, show us what you've got, show us what you've got. And then as soon as they supposedly show you what they've got, people are like, why are you trying to distract us? <laughs> and it's like no one can just, you know, latch on, hey, let's explore this for a moment. Hang on a sec, you must be up to something and you're trying to keep our attention over here. Donald Trump was president. You can't tell me that if... He had a document somewhere that there were, like, aliens and shit. Like, I mean, yes, there are unidentified flying objects. Of course there are. There are things that we can't identify. Yep. UFOs. I get that. Does that mean that they are aliens or anything like that? Not necessarily. If there's actual proper Mm. proof that there are aliens, like in the form that we understand that to be, rather than that there is some signs of alien life or whatever. Like, I believe there probably is aliens somewhere. 
whether they mm. would be recognizable to us and whether they would ever contact us, who fucking knows. But the idea that we are the only living thing in the entire fucking universe seems improbable. Mm. I mean, if it is true, fuck, we're nailing it. Couldn't have done a better job with it. Glad no one else got a crack at it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Could have done better though, to be honest. <laughs> Could have done better. Um, but Donald Trump would have fucking talk, talked about that, surely. Or he'd be talking about it now. Right. Why, why doesn't Joe Biden tell you about the aliens? Come on. Well, to, to be honest, I, I weirdly, the idea that that footage is of aliens is more satisfying and comforting to me than it is an unidentified object because if these people don't know what these things are and they are the ones flying around in equipment and this is freaking them out and this is like i don't care whose side got it has has this technology but if there is stuff out there that they can't get their head around i find that much more terrifying nobody knows anything they all pretend right. they know fucking everything but they don't know yeah like i mean they're just people aren't they they're just a group of fucking right. people in an organization who are specialists in what they do but like, we've all seen specialists in what they do. Footballers all make heaps of mistakes. No one plays a perfect game. Like, it's the same with people who work in the military. They have limits to what their knowledge is and it is influenced by what right. their personal perspectives are. So, what do we know? Like, about... Yes. I mean, I don't... I don't know. Like, could they, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't really care. When Netflix does a documentary that tells me there's actually aliens, then I'm on board. Then you'll care. When Louis Theroux sense. is talking to an alien... When I see an yeah. episode of Louis through and he's sitting down with an alien family to learn about their alien ways with his yeah. judgmental but no judgmental style, then I will get on board with the idea that they're aliens. I definitely want it to be Louis. That is a dead set fact. That's the person I want to do the first interview. Louis theroux has been doing this incredible series. It's on ABC IPU if people want to watch it. And it's kind of just something he put together during uh, lockdown. Mm. Um, and it's shot from his house, but it's basically him revisiting you know, stories that he told over the years and it's a bit of a look at his career but also a check back in with some of the most famous stories and characters in those stories. It's really great. But it, it, his house is very nice and he looks like he has a very nice life. Amy described it as like, she's like, it's it's like a Jamie Oliver show but it's Louis Theroux, you know? Right. <laughs> like right. he's climbing up into his attic or he's going through these files or whatever or he's like perfect little families down there, you know, and he's making them some, you know, fish fingers and chips or whatever and you're just right. like, your house is really nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. this is a weird thing to say in between, <laughs> you know, you just have quite a nice life, I think. And then you see these footage of him out, you know, living amongst these like, you know, uh, you know, survivalists or whatever it is and it's, yeah, it's it's incongruous. Right. But, you know, it makes sense because he can go off and do all of those things knowing full well he's got that very nice house to get back to as soon as he can. Yeah, if I had a house that nice, I probably wouldn't go anywhere. Although you have no, to, you have to pay for the house. That's, right. like, you still have to get out on the road to pay for the house. You don't get a house that nice without going to work occasionally. Yeah, what a bummer, right? I'd be very happy with a nice house that I didn't have to leave. He's an um, increasingly handsome person. You know how some people... Just get, get better. They get better. He is definitely yep. in that category. Like the other night, like Amy loves the Theroux and the Thoreau, as you know. She yep. loves Justin Thoreau and she loves cousin of Justin Thoreau, Louis Theroux. Um, yep. I love Louis Theroux for the main reason that I love people, Justin. What is the main reason that I like people? He likes you. Yep. So, <laughs> correct. 
Peter, Peter Dutton's an arsehole. I'd never misses an episode of Philosophy. Ah, you know what? Yeah, he's no, done what? some good things, right? You know, he knows how to run He's trying to expand his mind. Kept the borders closed. We're all pretty happy with that right now, aren't we? Yeah, come on. Why is everyone having a go at Dutts? Yeah, no, it's a bit easier with Louis. But uh, yeah, I was doing um, a set list one night at UCB in LA and he was in the audience and I had a really good set and he tweeted about it and then we ran into each other in a in an airport lounge and, and I had a little catch up and a chat and he said he'd listen to the podcast and oh. yeah, like it was, I. it's fair to say that every time I watch some cool Louis through thing, I then bring up the fact that like, you know, me and Louis. Well, well, to be honest, I'd be absolutely disappointed in you if you didn't. You should dine out on that. Absolutely. So that means you, you should reach out to him. Oh, yeah, I'd like to at some stage. It's, yeah. it's definitely on my list of things to do. I thought I might finish this series I've been watching and then like contact him and just let him know how much I'd enjoyed it because I have actually been loving it. Probably say, yeah. your house is nice. <laughs> got a nice yeah, house. Got a, mate, you've got a really nice house. Love the attic. Love where you keep your files. <laughs> And then, and and then maybe you can throw a throw a bone to to Justin to say, um, right? Oh, yeah, well, you got I know Louis someone. On, you do you th- you go through Louis to get to yeah. Thoreau. Thoreau, right? Yeah, you know, come in handy for my leftovers podcast. I mean, we could do we could do a double up a through Thoreau double crossover. I mean, we need a through line. That's what we need. <laughs> a through line <laughs> called Thoreau. Your arms around me. <laughs> You know what it'll end up as a faux pop episode where Louis interviews Justin. Yeah, wait a minute. How'd we miss out on this? That would this be an bullshit. amazing episode of faux pop if one week we dropped just dropped in the feed. Louis Theroux talks to Justin Theroux. I'd listen. <laughs> I'd definitely check in. I'd promote it. Uh, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I know it's been um, a little difficult for both of us to schedule, but I'm glad that you were able to do it. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like uh, I was saying to someone earlier, this, you, you would never complain. Would never complain about being busy specifically. Not off, after last year. Not after last year. But this year has been full on and it's really like I'm, I'm at that point where I would love to just have a day of not thinking about anything. That would be good, but it's there's just so much going on at the moment, and it's all exciting as well. That's the thing. It's not. It's not like you're feeling like you're dragging your heels to any of these projects. They're all exciting. They're all, you know, ticking different parts of your imagination and your creativity. But you know, it'd be nice not to be working and eating at the same time, or getting more than six hours sleep would be quite good. It's well, it is one of those things where. Yeah, unfortunately, this is what I suspected would happen too, is like none of the lessons learned. We all had some time off last year and appreciated the time off, the time to think, the time to be creative. Yeah. But the necessities, particularly in a lot of ways financial, of having a year off earning a living mean that when things come back, you're not really in the same position to say no to things. You have to be right. more open to saying yes to opportunities when they come along, particularly after not having them there. So we swing back so much the other way hopefully there'll be some readjustment period hopefully this isn't a sustainable momentum and it readjusted into something that is a little bit more balanced yeah look you know but uh well two things one is when projects hit you know like you say yes to things over the course of six months and there's nothing you can do when they all pop up within literally four or five weeks of each other 
And uh, but the second thing is, but I, I feel like I have continued to learn from last year in that if I was to stop anything at the moment because of time, I would stop the podcast. That's the thing that I would stop because that's the easiest thing mm-hmm. to stop. But what I learned from last year is I'm at my best when I, even when I'm working on other projects, I've got my thing that I can go back to that my listeners can engage with. And it's almost like that's the place where you're relaxing. That's the place where you can still kind of recharge, etc. So, uh, you know, you don't want to let that go. You just, you know, get less sleep and just look a bit puffier. That's all right. <laughs> and most importantly... No matter how busy you are, remember the most important thing of all, that live comedy does not end at the end of the Fringe. There is comedy in Adelaide all year round. All year round. And if you don't believe the Summerton Man, and if you don't believe the Butt Boys, believe Craig Egan. (laughs) Thank you, Justin Hamilton. (laughs) Thank you. 